This is the second part in a two-part series we're doing on the book of Ecclesiastes, and we want to call it the fascinating wisdom of Ecclesiastes. Now, as a church, we are reading through the Bible in one year's time, in this year, 2023, and um, we, not too long ago, went through the book of Ecclesiastes, and oftentimes, when you pick up the Word of God, there could be a lot of confusion, and so it's very important for us to see things in the perspective in which they were written. Today, it is my goal to help you by looking at the book of Ecclesiastes to find a divine vision for your life. A divine vision for your life. Many people pick up the book of Ecclesiastes and they find it to be very depressing. When in fact, if read accurately, it will have the exact opposite effect on your life. You will find it, find it to be extremely motivating. It's a course correction. People run very fast into the wrong direction. And it doesn't matter how fast you run if you're running in the wrong direction. <laughs> Ecclesiastes is a course correction. It helps us make that which is most important most important. To have a vision, however, you would have to first start off with wisdom. Why is that? Because that is what wisdom does. It provides insight into life. When you have insight, you have sight. When you have sight, you have wisdom. Or vision, excuse me. So when you have wisdom, you have insight. When you have insight, you have sight. And when you have sight, you have vision. You cannot have vision as a fool. At least not divine vision. In the book of Ecclesiastes, which is a book of wisdom, the preacher sets forth these two conflicting world views. Um, the perspective of life under the sun over and against the perspective of life under heaven. In layman's terms, the authors of this fascinating book of Ecclesiastes says that there are those who live their lives as if there is no heaven to live for. In other words, they live for here and they live for now, as if there is no eternity to consider while making live life here on earth possible. They're living under the sun with no concern for what happens after this life. Then there are those who live their lives here on earth with eternity as their goal. They are living under heaven. So here are these two concepts, these two worldviews that are very opposed to one another. The first worldview is living under the sun, living for the here, living for the now, living to be happy. If you ask most parents, what do you hope for your children one day? What would they say? That they would be happy. That is the mindset this preacher of the book of Ecclesiastes, he's called the preacher, is actually telling us about. That is the most futile thing. Because what happens when you were happy your whole life and you die outside of Christ? What happens if you gain the whole world and lose your soul? You see, this is what he's talking about. If in fact 
You live only under the sun and you ignore the fact that you're living under heaven. You ignore the fact that there's a God in heaven. You ignore the fact that there's eternal life. It doesn't matter what you've accumulated. It doesn't matter what you've experienced or who you've become. You're an absolute, your life is absolutely futile, worthless, purposeless, meaningless. Because you die just like the beasts of the field die. That's his argument. Then there are those who live lives here on earth with eternity as their goal. They live a life under heaven. They live their lives with the knowledge that their current life impacts their eternal life. That's it. Their current decisions impact their eternal life. What they do now matters forever. So the conclusion is, for the book of Ecclesiastes, is that today matters forever. I hate doing this, but I'd love to do it today. Could you tell your neighbor, today matters? Say now, today matters forever. As a matter of fact, what you do right now counts forever and ever and ever. Because you're living not under the sun, but under heaven. I've often felt like one of the most effective things I can do for myself is to remind me of that very fact. What I do right now is going to show up in heaven when I stand before Him. <laughs> to connect every single decision we make and every single action we take to eternal outcomes is one of the most sobering things we can do in life. This is something that has often sobered me up to the reality of this eternity and to the meaningfulness of this life. When I connect how what I do right now matters eternally, suddenly there's meaning in what I do right now. There's purpose in what I do right now. From the smallest to the biggest thing I do, the, thoughts, the thought that my choices and actions I make today echo through the corridors of heaven actually sober me up completely. Suddenly, money is no longer the most important thing. Suddenly, being liked is no longer the important thing. So let's talk about a few temporal actions that are connected in Scripture, shows us that are connected to eternal outcomes. Because in doing so, we will sober up from thinking that we're living for the here and for the now. We're living for toward happiness, pleasure, comfort, and convenience. It'll sober us up from that whole thing. And it'll help us understand how important it is that we are living before the Lord every day of our lives. The first is, we have to realize that our prayers and our generosity matters eternally. Our prayers and our generosity matters eternally. It's, it's one degree too cold. <laughs> Sorry. Thanks, Alex. And I know they think, are you kidding me? One? It's 10 degrees too cold. I know. I hear you. Just move it one degree. It's okay. Your prayers and your generosity matter eternally. In Acts chapter 10, verse 1 and 5, it says, at Caesarea, there was a man named Cornelius, a centurion, 
of what was known as the Italian cohort. So just think about this. Here's this man, Cornelius. He is not a Jew. He is not a Christian. He's known as the Italian cohort. A devout man who feared God, however, with all of his household, gave alms generously. In other words, he, was, he gave to the poor. He gave alms generously to the people and prayed continually to God. About the ninth hour of the day, he saw clearly in a vision an angel of God come in and say to him, Cornelius. And he stared at him in terror and said, What is it, Lord? And he said to him, Watch this. Your prayers and your alms have ascended as a memorial before God. Your prayers and your alms have ascended as a memorial. What is a memorial? What's the purpose of a memorial? To keep alive the memory of something, someone. And there is his, there is his memorial in heaven before God. How did that happen? His prayers and his alms, right here, right now, counted for there, mattered there. See, here we see the angel of the Lord painting a clear picture of what Cornelius is known for in heaven. He was known in heaven before Peter even came to share the gospel with him and before he even believed in Jesus. Before all of that happened, he was known in heaven for what he did on earth. His prayers and his, and his generosity. Number two, caring for another disciple of Christ has an effect on your eternity. Caring for another disciple of Christ has an effect on your eternity. Think about this. In Matthew 10, 40 through 42, it says, Whoever receives you receives me, Jesus speaking. And whoever receives me receives him who sent me. The one who receives a prophet because he is a prophet will receive a prophet's reward. And the one who receives a righteous person because he is a righteous person will receive a righteous person's reward. Verse 42. And whoever gives one of these little ones even a cup of cold water because he is a disciple. Because he is a disciple. Now, the church has lost the truth that's been expressed here. Because he is a follower of Christ. If in fact you give even a cup of cold water to a disciple of Christ. Truly I say to you, he will by no means lose his reward. Heaven has an economy. And heaven has a... What are, what are these in Hollywood? You get this... Uh, they, they hand out rewards for anybody who's a good actor or whatever. Yeah. Heaven hands out rewards. Number three, your action towards your brothers and sisters in Christ are ultimately your actions toward Christ himself. And my point that I'm trying to drive home here is that as you treat people here and now, it matters there forever. Your life right here has a tremendous amount of meaning and purpose because your life now, the things you do now, counts forever and ever and ever. Look at Matthew 25, 31. It shows us how our actions towards brothers and sisters in Christ are ultimately actions that we have toward Christ right now. Where is Jesus right now? 
on the right hand of the Father. And this right here is how we relate to Him right there. It says in Matthew 25, 31, When the Son of Man comes in His glory, and all the angels with Him, then He will sit on His throne, His glorious throne. Before Him will be gathered all the nations, and He will separate people one from another, and shepherd, as a shepherd separates the sheep from the goats. And He will place the sheep on His right and the goats on His left. Then the King will say to those on the right, Come, you who are blessed by my Father, inherit the kingdom prepared for you from the foundation of the world. For I was hungry, you gave me food. I was thirsty, you gave me drink. I was a stranger, and you welcomed me. I was naked, and you clothed me. I was sick, you visited me. I was in prison, and you came to me. Then the righteous will answer him, saying, Lord, when did we see you hungry and feed you, or thirsty and gave you a drink? And when did we see you as stranger and welcome you, or naked and clothe you? And when did we see you sick or in prison and visit you? And the king will answer them, Truly I say to you, as you did it to one of the least of these, my brothers, my brothers. Look, it's good to give to the poor. But it is imperative that we be generous to the believers within the body of Christ, within the four walls of the church. It is imperative that we give and that we visit and that we clothe and that we support and that we love and that we care for these of the least, my brothers. He says, truly I say to you, as you did it uh, to one of these, the least of these, my brothers, you did it to me. Then he will say to those on the left, depart from me, you cursed, in the, it, cursed into the eternal fire prepared for the devil and his angels. For I was hungry and you gave me no food. I was thirsty and you gave me no drink. I was a stranger and you did not welcome me. Naked and you did not clothe me. Sick and in prison and you did not visit me. Then they also will answer saying, Lord, when did we see you hungry or thirsty or a stranger or naked or sick or in prison and did not minister to you? Then he will answer them saying, truly I say to you, as you did not do it, to one of the least of these, you did not do it to me. Brothers and sisters, we have, we have such an incredible responsibility before God toward one another. We see it the other way around. We have such an incredible responsibility toward one another before God that we have lost sight of. But we have to realize I'm driving home this idea that it is impossible to separate our temporal life choices and actions from an eternal outcome or an eternal impact. I cannot separate the way I treat people within the four walls of the church from the way I treat Christ Himself. Does the Bible not specifically say that how is it that you say you love God whom you cannot see if you cannot even love your brother whom you do see? What he is saying, again, the scripture reads me. He's be, the scripture is reading me saying, you're lying. You don't really love God. You say it with your mouth. You honor the Lord with your lips, but your heart's far from him. If you say you love him whom you do not see when you cannot love those whom you do see. So we cannot divorce and separate our temporal life choices 
and our temporal life actions from eternity. What you do now matters forever. That's why now matters. Imagine an atheist. Have you realized if there was no God, if there really was no God, there couldn't have been any atheists? <laughs> the reason there is a God is because they're atheists. <laughs> but imagine being an atheist. Why would you even do anything that matters? Why would you say no to yourself when it comes to pleasure? To any degree, you wouldn't. Why would you? Because it's all you have is the pleasure of this moment. That's all they have. They don't have an, they don't have an eternity to work toward. They have nothing. Their lives, even in their own eyes, if you listen to the philosophers, are futile, worthless. Because it doesn't matter what you accumulate, doesn't matter what you accomplish, you go into the same dirt as the beasts do, just like an animal. Number four, what you do with your treasure matters in heaven. What you do with your treasure matters in heaven. How you view your treasure matters in heaven. Let me change that. Your attitude toward things of this world matter in, matters in heaven. Matthew 6, 19, 21. Do not lay up for yourselves treasure on earth, where moth and rust destroy, and where thieves break in and steal. That's not your priority. But lay up for yourselves treasure in heaven, where neither moth nor rust destroys, and where thieves do not break in and steal. For your treasure is, there your heart will be also. He's saying you have to decide uh, what you're going to value in this world. But make sure that in this world you value not what pays out here, but what pays out there. Most people live towards a comfortable retirement. That is most people's number one goal for themselves. Their goal for their children is happiness. Their goal for self is convenience and comfort after retirement. But here we are, we are given a course correction. We say, no, no, God's saying, make sure you value that, which matters eternally as opposed to temporally. Number five. And here we're going to step on toes, both husband and wives. Because... We have to realize how we treat our wives, husbands, determines how heaven treats us. How we treat our wives determines how heaven treats us. 1 Peter 3 verse 7 says, Likewise, husbands, live with your wives in an understanding way, showing honor to the woman as the weaker vessel. Since they are heirs with you of the grace of life, so that your prayers may not be hindered. Why should you do it? So that your prayers may not be hindered. Why should you do it? Because if you refuse to understand your wife, heaven refuses to hear your prayers. Now, I'm saying it in a lot more 
absolute terms, but the Bible tells us that there's a truth to it. And the wife is going to turn to the husband and say, See? <laughs> See what I, I've been telling you all along? You just won't hear me, huh? Why do you think your prayers aren't being answered? <laughs> it says, live with your wives in an understanding way. In other words, it doesn't say, agree with your wife with everything. It doesn't say, don't be the priest of your home. It just says, understand that they are the weaker vessel. It's one thing that our culture has removed from men's minds. You're not allowed to see your wife as anything but. Whatever you can do, she can do better. <laughs> not true. Not true. I'm sure there's a woman somewhere that can beat me in arm wrestling. But uh, <laughs> generally speaking, the Bible says that they are the weaker vessel. Number six. Every word we say is recorded in heaven. Are you with me? Can you feel like things are closing up on us? <laughs> I feel like I'm getting painted into a corner here. I'm just going to stand here and not say anything. And then the Lord is going to hold me accountable for not saying what I should have said. Because there are sins of commission, or things I do that's wrong. But then there are sins of omission, the things I didn't do that I should have done. So yeah, checkmate, everybody. Welcome to, <laughs> we need the Lord. Yeah, we need the Lord. Every word we say is recorded in heaven. Matthew 12, 36. I tell you, on the day of judgment, people will give an account for every careless word they speak. Lord, help us. Now to solidify, um, what we're doing here, the fact that here and now is connected to the then and there, our temporal life is absolutely connected to our eternal life. What you choose to do and act right now affects your eternity. Right now matters forever, which is what gives right now a lot of meaning which is what gives right now a lot of purpose. And right now, there's a lot of responsibility. But in order to drive this point home, we have to look at a few different crowns that God's people will receive in heaven based on what they did here on earth. The first is, and there are five, the first crown that many of you will receive when you step over that line out of this world into that is the imperishable crown. The imperishable crown. And ladies and gentlemen, the imperishable, imperishable crown goes to those with self-control in this life. When you live in this world with self-control, you will arrive in heaven and receive an imperishable crown. 1 Corinthians 9, 24 and 25, it says... Do you not know that in a race all the runners run, but only one receives the prize? So run that you may obtain it. Every athlete exercises what? 
self-control. In all things, self-control. In all things. They do it to receive a perishable crown. But we do it for another reason. We do it to receive an imperishable crown. Isn't it amazing how here in 1 Corinthians 9, um, Paul is saying the exact same thing the preacher was saying in the book of Ecclesiastes. These guys, these athletes, they run in such a way, they exercise so much self-discipline in order to receive this crown, which perishes, by the way, therefore it's really meaningless. But you, not so. You exercise self-control as a husband, as a wife, as a parent, as a business owner, as an employer, as an employee, as a minister, as a disciple, as a church member, as a brother, as a sister, and as a citizen. We, we, have, to, we have to exercise self-control, which means that we don't control others. <laughs> we exercise not control, but self-control, right? And oftentimes we have to control ourselves in this that we will withhold from controlling others. The imperishable crown goes to the person with self-control. Number two, the crown of rejoicing. The crown of rejoicing, ladies and gentlemen, goes to the one who made disciples on this earth. 1 Thessalonians 2.19 says, For what is our hope or joy or crown? What is our hope, joy or crown of boasting before our Lord Jesus at His coming? What crown is that crown in which we will rejoice? He says, is it not you? Paul is talking to the church that he planted, those he led to the Lord, those he is shepherding as an apostle. And he's saying, my crown of joy when I'm in heaven, would it not be you? And this is powerful. You know why? Because the crown of joy goes to the disciple maker. Your efforts in reaching the lost, your efforts in training people from around the world, because that's the Great Commission, go into all the world and teach them to obey all that I've commanded you. You encouraging people to obey Jesus and become a disciple, you receive a crown of joy. Rejoicing in heaven. Number three is the crown of righteousness. The crown of righteousness. And this crown goes to those who have fought the good fight and kept the faith even during their trials and during their hardships in this life. You see, those who are consistent, those who are stable, those who are committed, those who are reliable, and those who are unmoved, immovable. Even during difficult times, those are the ones who will receive a crown called the crown of righteousness. Now I know we're going to receive these crowns. Many of you will. But you will take that crown and you will put it at the feet of Jesus. You know why? Because if it wasn't for Him, you couldn't have even entered the race for that crown. 
But I want to say this a little differently. The crown of righteousness goes to the one who has fought the good fight. Meaning that when it concerns the things of God, when it concerns the things of God, they're consistent. When it concerns the kingdom of God, they are stable and committed and reliable. When it concerns the word of God, they are immovable. Even when times are difficult. Let me tell you what the biggest difficulty is in the Western church. The biggest difficulty in the Western church is literally living up to the Joneses. The biggest difficulty is that they went on a vacation, we should go on vacation. They earned so much, so I would have to get a second job so I can earn so much. So everything that they drive, that they wear, that our culture has called us to live such busy lives, we have no time for the things of God. This is the difficulty. The difficulty is that people think like the world and therefore trivialize the church because that's what the world does. People think that this is what we do when we have nothing else to do because that's what the church thinks church life is. That's what the world thinks about church life. Come on, I'm free. I'm a Christian. I can do whatever I want. No, you are free from the power of sin that causes you to do the wrong thing so that you can do the right thing. So I'm free to do what is right. That's what it means when I'm free in Christ. I'm free to live righteously. I'm actually free to be consistent, stable, committed, reliable, and unmovable. I'm now free to be that disciple He's always called me to be. Because I'm free from the sin that's always stopped me from being that person. And that person that fights the good fight and keeps the faith in this life during trials and during the hardships of busyness inside of the United States of America, during the trials and the hardships of having to be different than the Joneses and everybody else, those trials, if you can, go through those trials. And of course there are more trials than that. Of course there are hardships, there are diseases, there are sicknesses, there's, there's lack, there's all, there are all these things. There's church hurt. I mean, there are all these really important things, right? I'm being facetious. <laughs> but if you can get past these things, stay the course, no matter what degree of church hurt. The crown of righteousness is yours. According to 2 Timothy 4, verse 7 and 8. Number 4, the crown of glory goes to the elder or elders who faithfully cared for God's people. This is the crown of glory that Jesus, the chief shepherd, will hand to his under-shepherds. Those who faithfully, effectively, consistently cared for the sheep. 1 Peter 5 verse 1 and 4 says, So I exhort the elders among you, as a fellow elder, Paul says, and as a witness of the sufferings of Christ, as well as a partaker in the glory that is going to be revealed, shepherd the flock. Okay, so take all of that in between words away and say, read the first line, So I exhort the elders among you to shepherd the flock of God that is among you. Exercising oversight. Now he's going to tell us how to do it. Not under compulsion. Do it willingly. Do it because you desire to. 
You desire to please the Lord. You go like, I don't love that person. How can I shepherd that person? Because you love the Lord. That's why. You see? That's what Jesus did. He came and gave himself to you, for you, because the Father asked him to, since the Father loved you. So elders care for people because they love the Lord. Peter, do you love me? Yes, Lord. Care for the sheep. Peter, do you love me? Yes, Lord. Feed the sheep. Peter, do you love me? Yes, Lord. Take care of the sheep. Out of your love for God, you will care for people. Let me say it differently. Out of your love for the Lord, you will care for those who are His. Passionately. He says this right here. He says, shepherd the flock of God that is among you. Exercise oversight not under compulsion, but willingly as God would have you. Not for, shame, not for shameful gain, but eagerly. Do it eagerly. Not domineering over those in your charge, but being examples to the flock. Exemplary. Disciples, verse 4. And when the chief shepherd appears... You will receive the unfading crown of glory. What a privilege. So we've looked at the imperishable crown, the crown of rejoicing, the crown of righteousness, the crown of glory. Finally, there's a fifth crown the Bible speaks of that will be handed to those in heaven. Is the crown of life. The crown of life. And that crown goes to those who valued Christ more than their own lives. They valued Christ more than their own lives. Those who in fact deny themselves, pick up their crosses and followed Christ, even if it meant their own death, physical death. Revelation 2 verse 10 says, Do not fear what you are about to suffer. Behold, the devil is about to throw some of you into prison, that you may be tested. And for ten days you will have tribulation. Be faithful unto death. Be faithful unto death. And I will give you the crown of life. So this is how the author of Ecclesiastes concludes. That which makes this life, this futile life. Your life is like a passing shadow. One day you're young. The next day you look in the mirror you go, what happened? Your little baby used to lay in your arms. Now they're big enough to pick you up. What just happened? You know, I remember the first day I voted. Um, as an American citizen. That's five terms ago. Or six terms ago. That's shocking. I still see people with George Bush and John Kerry stickers on their, on their, on their, on their cars. Like, <laughs> that's a long time ago. You know. Now, if you still got a, uh, um, you know, <laughs> anyway. That's a long time ago. I'm trying to remember all the people's names, don't I? Man, time flies. You hear one day, 
gone another. But what happens with Elon's $245 billion? What happens to that? I mean, he's one child that hates him, probably gets some of it. I don't know, you know. What happens to it? Nothing. It doesn't matter. It means nothing. Because just like you buried your parakeet last week, so Elon will get buried and everybody becomes dirt. So the preacher in Ecclesiastes says, hey, let me show you, therefore, how can you take this life, this meaningless life, and make it meaningful, this purposeless exercise in futility, and make it purposeful. Let me show you what this life is all about, where the value lies, where the gold in this life is. You search many places, but here is the most precious of all. In Ecclesiastes 12, verse 13 and 14, right at the end of the whole book, he says, The end of the matter. All have been heard. The end of the matter. Fear God. Keep His commandments. For this is the whole duty of man. Why? Because that is what will pay out there. That is what pays out then. That's why in Ecclesiastes he says, cast your bread upon the water. Cast your bread upon the water. Because in many days, it will come back to you. He's talking about living your life with long-term vision, eternal vision. So who is this person? And we'll close with this. Who is the person that lives in the fear of the Lord? I always say it's the person, number one, multiple things, is the person who when they read a word from God, they bow their knee immediately. Not, well, I don't understand it. No, no, no. Bow first and then ask questions. <laughs> right? <laughs> it's like when you tell your child, I need, you, I need you to get off the couch. Well, why? No. Just first do what I tell you, and then I'll explain to you if I feel like it. But get off the couch, right? And in the same way, when you read the Word, the person who fears the Lord is the person who obeys and then asks questions later if he needs to. Because he trembles at the word of God. The person that does not fear the God, fear God, let me say, the person that does not fear God is the person that needs to be coached into trusting the scripture they just read. The person whose arm needs to be twisted in order to do what they see scriptures requires of them. The person who trivializes the word of God trivializes God. It's like when you tell your child, get off that couch, and they don't. And you say, why, why are you disrespecting me? Wouldn't you? Well, how they respond to your word is how they respond to you. How you respond to Scripture is how you respond to God. Your current response is your current response in heaven, right? Because this moment matters forever. But there's another person I've recognized who actually fears the Lord. He is the one who realizes that his short life under the sun is the only opportunity and the only time he will have for all eternity to prove his faithfulness even at times of lack. Why? 
because there will be no lack in heaven. The only time you'll ever be able to show, faith, show yourself faithful before God in, the time, in times of lack and poverty is now here on this earth. Because when you get there, your opportunity to prove your faithfulness during times of lack is over. This is the only time. And this is the one who fears the Lord. He realizes this moment right here is gold. This moment right here is my only opportunity to prove my commitment in the midst of a busy life. Lord, this is the only time I'm going to be able to prove to you that even though a lot of other things are going on, I'll make you a priority. This is the only time you'll be able to do that. So next time you're busy, remind yourself, this is the only time I'll ever have to prove He's my priority during times when, everything, when I'm spinning 100 plates. I still go, Lord, you are the most important above all. It's the only time you'll be able to give Him time while everything else is calling you away from Him. Because that's not going to be happening in heaven, is it? So you'll never write that test in heaven. It's the only possible time you'll have the opportunity to prove your love for the Lord while being tempted. Because you're not going to get tempted in heaven. So you're not going to write that test in heaven, but you get to write it here. So next time you get tempted, remind yourself... This is my opportunity to prove that I'm faithful in the face of temptation. This is my moment. I can make count then. Think of it. Now is the only time you'll have the opportunity to love your enemies. You'll have no enemies in heaven. So love them now. Man, I'm, gonna, I'm going home right now and I'm going to write that guy a, a nice message on Facebook. The guy that he, he and I have been going at it. It's the only time I have to prove that I can love somebody who obviously dislikes me. Think of it. God created the heaven and the earth by speaking. This is my second and final closing. God, God created the heavens. How? And the earth by saying, let there be light. His word went forth and it Created the creation. But ladies and gentlemen, family of God, His Word is now in your hands and goes forth through your mouth and now the new creation is birthed. How are people saved? Through faith. How do they get the faith? Faith comes by hearing the Word of God. How do they hear the Word of God? Through you, the preacher. The priest of God. For you, for ye are a priesthood what I'm saying is, this is God's chosen way of evangelism through you speaking His Word. And this is the only time you get to evangelize. This is the only time you can make sure you will one day wear that crown of rejoicing is when you speak the Word of God to the dry bones. When you speak the word of God, you'll see God move and birth the new creation. Right now, what you do right now matters for all eternity. Live with that thought. Walk with that thought. 
Build relationships with that thought. Raise your children with that thought. Be married with that thought in mind. Let's pray. Father, thank you for your word. Thank you for the book of Ecclesiastes. Thank you for encouraging us, Father, to live towards not the end of this world, the end of this life, but to live toward the beginning of the next. Pray, Father God, that every person under the sound of my voice right here in our beautiful church family will one day hear the words, well done, good and faithful servant. May every one of these wonderful people have the ability, Father, to one day take the crown off their heads and lay it at your feet and honor you and drive that point home that even then we recognize that all glory goes to you, Jesus. Amen.